0: It's go time!
1: Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbonne along with Heath Graham. And we're feeling a little dejected. Wait a minute. No, I meant ejected. And that's where we're going to start tonight's show with an ejection and a non-ejection for a similar act on the field. Going back to the game between Toronto and Montreal, Montreal receiver Austin Mack is tossed, Ben Major's actual words, for punching Argonauts defensive back Quantes Stickers in the grill. We go to Saturday late. Calgary receiver Reggie Bagleton punches Elks defensive back Ed Ganey late in the third quarter in the grill, but this time he's not ejected. Was there anything that I'm not seeing that tells me one should have been, one should not, or what have we got here?
0: What we saw was some inconsistency of officiating crews more than anything. Very similar situations and in my opinion should have both been ejections. I'm not sure what they saw in that Calgary-Edmonton game that warranted Bagleton staying in. But when you've got the top receiver in the league in Austin Mack being thrown out early in the game with the Montreal Alouettes and Toronto Argonauts, that indicates that there should be no hesitation in throwing out Reggie Bagleton in a game later on for a similar act.
1: Interestingly, the league had sent out a docket, a memo, we'll call it that, where they were telling the teams and informing them as best they could that there was going to be a stricter policy in terms of after-the-whistle activities, especially when it comes to verbal intimidation, but also in terms of physical altercations. Now, in my book's... Did Justin McInnes maybe not see enough of the play to warrant the ejection of of Reggie Bagleton? Or was it a case where they went to the booth and the booth saw it differently between the two games? I don't, I heard the name Al, which means Al Bradbury.
0: I I guess this boils down to what is the booth's authority uh, and can they make those decisions to eject? And I'm sure a lot of this stems from what happened Labor Day weekend between Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. It wasn't a punch thrown; it was a headbutt, but there has been a lot of talk about how Pete Robertson should have been tossed from that game and wasn't. So you got to see a bit of a crackdown with Austin Mack being tossed, but somehow there's a drop-off and Reggie Bagleton stayed in. I, I don't know what the difference is. As I said, generally the league has shown a no tolerance to punches thrown. Did they determine that Baggeltons was more of a slap than a punch. And what difference does that make? And I, I am not the person that can make that call.
1: I'm not the one either. Between the two of us and our listening audience, sometimes we see everything, sometimes we don't. Officials, no different. So if you look at the situation in the Montreal-Toronto game, when Mac hits Stiggers, there is nobody around them, really. It happens in front of the Argonauts' bench, there isn't really anybody obstructing any views. With the Bagleton and Ganey incident, there are players milling about and the arm comes across from Bagleton in much the same way that Mac had done. You could be right. It could be the more of an open hand versus a closed hand that struck the grill. And either case, and I think I'm with you on this, you throw it, you're gone. And we may see... The
0: league eventually get there in that kind of consistency they've come a long way this year even just with the way they've rolled out the objectionable conducts uh basically two chances and you're you're out of the game but when there's that kind of i guess aggressive after the whistle play this is something that needs to be consistent and perhaps this offseason it is something that will be discussed with the board of governors with all teams with players, the players association and everybody to get a clear understanding that this is consistently how we're going to call this. If that is the case, then they need to be very firm in their definition of of whether it matters. It shouldn't matter if it's an open hand or closed hand. If it's thrown in a punch-like manner or something, however they decide to word it, should lead to an automatic ejection.
1: When you coil your arm, basically bring your elbow back and then launch forward, I would consider that open hand, close hand a punch. And that's where you and I agree. Where the CFL and any football league would probably be having trouble with this is that you've got human beings making assessments. It is Al Bradbury in both circumstances in the booth. Did he have a clear view? Maybe the camera didn't have it as clear as what we saw with Austin Mack. Bagleton in my world, probably he was very fortunate that he was still playing football in the fourth quarter of that football game in Edmonton. Austin Mack, of course, is out in the first quarter, and that does hamper the Alouettes. If you say, well, they're mitigating because of the prominence of the player and what it could impact on the team, well, you can say right away that Mack got tossed, so what does that matter? There's no bias in this. I think it's just down to human interpretation. And that can move the needle just a little bit, even with a myriad of edicts trying to define everything, there is always that gray area. Yeah, I,
0: as I said, the, the caliber of player that Austin Mack is and their willingness to eject him so early in the game shows that that status shouldn't matter. And in that instance, it certainly didn't. Austin Mack is also a first year player versus Reggie Bagleton, being a veteran of the league. So I don't know if that means they gave Reggie a little bit more leeway there and and let him get away with one. But consistency all, all that coaches and players ask for is consistency. And that goes to any sport. Baseball, they want a consistent strike zone. Hockey, they don't want to have what's a penalty in the first period not be a penalty in the third period you're always looking for consistency. And in this case, they were perhaps consistent in each individual game, but they lack that consistency across all four games that happened on the weekend.
1: That's a fair assessment to a point. What I will come back with just a little bit is that at least Bagleton got hit with 15, which is a major foul. You have to hit a certain benchmark I'm not always clear on what that is, to be ejected from a football game. Now, clearly, between him and Mac, Mac hit that threshold. Maybe Bagleton didn't. It, and again, it could come down to who saw what and what camera angle showed whatever happened the best. We move forward, and in that way, we move backward. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and we'll get to this in second down as to what happened in the game, but First and foremost, for the fourth time in a row, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have gone to the Banjo Bowl and had their doors blown off by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Just recounting the scores, in, ni- in 2019, 31-10 Winnipeg. In 2021, 33-9 Winnipeg. In 2022, 54-10 Winnipeg. And in 2023, 51-6 Winnipeg. Two constants through all this. Mike O'Shea was coaching the Blue Bombers. Craig Dickinson was coaching the Rough Riders. Embarrassing to have this happen every time you go to the Banjo Bowl if you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders?
0: It has to start eating at you for sure. And especially since it's all under the tutelage of the same coach, you start to question what is going on. Winnipeg traditionally over the last several seasons has been a very tough out at home. Their their home record has been phenomenal. They've had seasons where they've gone completely undefeated or certainly a 7 and 2 or 8 and 1 home record. So there is a huge home field advantage at IG Field for the Bombers. And if you look at their home games this year, they lost big to the BC Lions and then all of their wins have been by, I believe, 11 points and up and are averaging somewhere around 25, 26 points per game as a as a home win. The Labor Day weekend game in Saskatchewan, Winnipeg struggled. Jake DolaGala played a very solid game, and we saw the reverse this time around. I think DolaGala struggled a little bit, and we'll start to dissect that game a little bit later as well. But perhaps that third string quarterback in a hostile environment started to catch up to the riders a bit.
1: It does happen that a team will struggle in certain games. What my question is, why is it that the Rough Riders under the Dickinson tutelage go into Winnipeg and basically lay an egg? It's it's ridiculous in some senses because haven't you learned anything in the previous trips that's going to tell you something about what's going to happen, how you prepare for it? In 2022, you can argue, okay, they had a norovirus running through the Rough Riders and they were trying to airlift and drive players in from anywhere just to make the roster happen. Even with that one-off, they still got beat worse this year without that issue. And my question is, what is going on? How do you not know that this is a potentiality and what are you doing to prevent it? We've discussed a little bit about Craig Dickinson not
0: being a hard-nosed coach and maybe not the greatest motivator this starts to shine through in situations like this. You need to know that these Labor Day game and the the Banjo Bowl game are going to be very emotional, very loud, very energetic. And you need to be up for both of these games. Did the riders feel satisfied enough in the win on Labor Day weekend that they had a bit of a letdown this week? whereas the Blue Bombers were motivated by the Pete Robertson, Zach Kolaris situation, motivated by their second overtime loss of the season and really got fired up for this game. That's probably a little bit of the case, but to have it happen four seasons in a row and, and keep in mind, Winnipeg prior to winning two Labor Day games in a row had lost 14 straight Labor Day classic games. So, Some close, some by blowout. These back-to-back games are always a tough one to figure out.
1: It's a tough one to figure out if you're not learning from what happened. The team from Regina, they'd given up 42 points by halftime. Only, I think, on eight occasions this year has a team scored 42 or more in a full game. That, to me, speaks to something else, and it isn't fantastic coaching. Ottawa Red Blacks have now lost six in a row. In your mind, what do they need to do? One of the things that's been leveled against them is that they've been fairly set with their lineup. Do they need to make changes? And if so, where? Do they have to bring in at what position? This is a a tough one. I, I think one of the biggest struggles, obviously,
0: is the quarterback situation where they're now on their fourth quarterback. Dustin Crum has shown some flashes of ability and certainly his scrambling has gotten him a long way in keeping these games close. I don't know where quarterback help would come from at this point to help them out. One of the biggest disappointments for me this season for the Ottawa Red Blacks is the drop off of Jalen Acklin. He didn't have a stellar year last year and this year has been inconsistent. He's had some, some great plays some great catches, but he seemed in 2021 to be trending, to be an elite receiver in this league. And and he has fallen off drastically. The receiving core as a whole might be a little bit of a weakness. You need to have players that are able to support a rookie quarterback. And there seems to be a little bit of a, a lack there. All in all, I don't believe you need to make drastic changes to that Red Blacks lineup. They've had some unlucky breaks with injuries and they've been in most of these games. You can't say they've been blown out of the water a lot of times. And it's, it's the learning curve and learning how to turn those close losses into close wins.
1: Ottawa is third last in terms of points per game. As you say, they last three minutes seem to escape them. And one of the things that when we saw them with Dustin Crum was that everyone called it Crumtastic or whatever the... Adjective you wanted to use because they won their first two games in dramatic fashion in overtime over two very quality teams. Since then, they haven't done that. And what's more, they've given away games in the last three minutes. Does this ever fall back on Kahari Jones or Baron Miles for something that has broken down? We think back to that Hamilton game or Montreal where deep passes beat them.
0: With a six-game losing streak, everybody in that organization needs to look within and what they have all done, be it coaches, coordinators, players, etc. There's teams, I mean, you look at the Edmonton Elks this year, started off on a nine-game losing streak, have now won three of their last four. So they've kind of gone the opposite way where they have – grown as a group and learn to win. I think back to Winnipeg a few years ago, they were a 4-14 and team and people were saying this is the best 4-14 and team we've ever seen because they continued to lose close games. They continued to build, continued to work with what they had, make the little roster moves where needed, learn what areas to focus on. So I, I believe the Red Blacks can turn it around. It might not be enough to get them into the playoffs this year. If they are confident that Dustin Crum is a future starting quarterback in this league, what pieces do they need to support him? Or if they're already trending to looking at other quarterback options in the future, he's the stopgap to get them through this season. And then they start adding those little pieces here and there to, to turn those losses into wins.
1: Games where four points or less, decided the outcome, Ottawa is two and four. Teams that are in that same league with them, the Calgary Stampeders, also two and four. Team that has gone the other way in those situations, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, five and one. Saskatchewan, five out of six times have won a close game. And yet Ottawa, Calgary, each of 33% of the time won a close game.
0: So then you start looking at Saskatchewan and go, okay, if they're five and one in close games, but they're a six and six team, what's going on in those
1: other ones? Exactly. And you can point to road success versus home success in a lot of this. Although Ottawa is struggling at home. Ottawa has only two wins at home all year. You can't do it without winning at home. The typical sort of axiom that most leagues run by is you win majority of your games at home and then try to go 50-50 on the road and you're going to have a playoff team.
0: Exactly and the other interesting thing we talked about of course Edmonton's long home losing streak that has finally ended Ottawa had a 14 game home losing streak going into that one win and if you look at their home record over the last couple of seasons it's not much better than Edmonton so something that they have to figure out is what's going on at home. The fan support is there. Ottawa has some very passionate fans and they get consistently decent crowds. So it's, it's not the lack of, of care from the community. There's something within that is not working out for them that they have to figure out. Second down.
1: So let's start Second down with the discussion of the Ottawa Red Blacks, as again, they lose a close one at home. 27 to 24 to the Hamilton Tiger Cats, battle of the rookie quarterbacks, and Taylor Powell wins the battle, at least on the scoreboard.
0: Another close game, another home loss for the Red Blacks. I'm very interested in watching some of these young quarterbacks this season to see where the trend will take them. And Taylor Powell, of course, His first pass in the CFL was a touchdown. He didn't throw another one for the next three games. He's back on track now and seems to have settled in at that quarterback role. Dustin Crum has gone a little bit the other way where he came in with a a bang and has started to fizzle out a little bit. So I'm not giving up on either one of these quarterbacks as a future starter in the league. As they get more confidence, get more familiar with the playbooks, the players, the Canadian game as a whole, I think they're both going to be fine. It remains to be seen if either of them are going to be an all star caliber quarterback when it's all said and done.
1: Taylor Powell was 21 of 32 for 326 and three touchdowns. On the other side, Dustin Crum, 17 of 26 and an interception to add to his stat total. Hamilton scores the go-ahead touchdown with just over or just around three minutes to go in the football game. Ottawa has chances to do something about it. All they need is a field goal to tie, and yet they're unable to make it happen. In those circumstances, when the game is on the line and you've got a rookie quarterback, what role does the offensive coordinator, Kahari Jones in this case, have to make sure that they can get down the field?
0: He plays a big part. Gahari Jones was a quarterback in this league for a long time. He's now been a coach and a coordinator for several seasons. He needs to make sure that what he's asking is in the capabilities and the comfort zone that Dustin Crum feels he has the confidence to lead this team to victory. The huge comeback against Winnipeg, they did a little bit of everything, but mostly it was fueled by the running and scrambling ability of Dustin Crum. He had some rushing yards in this game, but not to that same degree. Granted, other teams are catching on to what he's doing a little bit now as well. So he doesn't have the the free reign to just continue to run wild. You have to look at what he does best and maybe some more quarterback run plays were necessary to get the the Red Blacks down into field goal range where Lewis Ward could tie this game up.
1: One could argue that, although I'm a little bit reticent about having my starting quarterback run to win the football game, although Crum did obviously run for a touchdown against the Blue Bombers in overtime in Ottawa. The fumble that he has in the final minute, of course, crushes any hope. The defense doesn't stop Hamilton. They get a first down, they can run out the clock with just over a minute to go, so they do that. Hamilton, full marks to them. We heard it as nauseam during that broadcast. Short week or three practice days, not much time to prepare after their game against Toronto. One thing that I thought was very astutely put out was that Ottawa could have really had an up-tempo approach to the game. Don't use the entire 22nd clock, the myth of the 22nd, which is closer to thirty five. Don't use it. Just get to the no huddle and go. And I think they could have done that with Dustin Crum. I think his knowledge of the playbook is sufficient enough that he could have worked it. Keep that defense hustling all the time. Wear them down a little bit. That's a
0: good point. And especially with Ottawa coming off the bye, that was the other side of the coin was you've got Hamilton on three days rest. You've got Ottawa coming off of a bye week where everybody should be well rested, healed and full of energy. Push the tempo see what happens. That's that's a, a great coaching strategy that Bob Dice and company did not implement to really force the Tiger Cats into quick decisions. It also affects substitutions if you start running plays quickly. It prevents the Tiger Cats defense from getting the subs in and getting the uh, getting the lineup that they want on the field and the formations. If you start pushing tempo, those mistakes on defense start to show and and opportunities will pop up for the Red Blacks to get more points on the board.
1: Without it being designated as such, this was a playoff game. The loser was going to be now really up against it. In this case, Hamilton wins. Teams in the West are looking across saying crossover, uh oh, now we've got another win that we've got to get out of the last six weeks.
0: Absolutely. And, and not only that, but even just between Ottawa and Hamilton, the Tiger Cats now win the season series. So they have the tiebreaker being two wins ahead of Ottawa now means Ottawa needs to win three more games than Hamilton to pass them down the stretch. A tall task, especially when you're now sitting on a six-game losing streak.
1: Saturday was the first triple header of the CFL season. It started in Toronto at BMO Field where the Montreal Alouettes go into Toronto, start, all right, get a touchdown on their opening drive find themselves down 20 to 7 at the end of the first quarter, and the Alouettes only muster three more points the rest of the night. The Argos add another 19, and win going away, 39 to 10. One comment that I read on, what do you call a tweet nowadays? Is an explete or a, (laughs) anyway... (laughs) Alouettes flight deck, who are, of course, are champions of the Montreal Alouettes and really do a great job on their podcast, but they said the one thing that the Alouettes could have done in their halftime adjustments was pack their bags and just leave. That may be
0: a fair assessment in this one. Cody Pajardo, again, an accurate day, 21 for 24, but only 236 yards, one touchdown. We're seeing some of that inability to push the ball down the field really hindered the Alouettes. The rushing game that we were high on last week with William Stanback having seemingly a a bounce back this week, two carries for six yards. Second leading rusher behind Walter Fletcher, who was five carries for ten yards. That Toronto defense shut them down in this game, and, and that was a big factor. And you can't take away from what Chad Kelly and that offense did for Toronto as well, but this one was spanking and a very solid defensive effort by the Argonauts.
1: Both quarterbacks complete 21 passes. Kelly is 21 of 28. He throws for 278. So another half the field further with his completions for him. Now missing Mac, as we talked about in the opening, was huge for the Alouettes because he's proving to be their number one threat to any defense. But with the nature of the game, and especially when you're a team that's frustrated, and clearly the Alouettes are, things like this do happen. A.G. Ouellette goes for 19 carries and 105 yards, two touchdowns. Andrew Harris, working his way into retirement, gets 21 yards on six carries.
0: Yeah, the running game made a difference. A.G. Ouellette is well on his way to being one of the top two or three running backs in the league. And Andrew Harris is very limited in use now, but still useful for that Toronto Argonauts offense as you mentioned, six carries for 21 yards and uh, a key part of Harris's game. He has not lost the ability to block. And and that is a huge factor to help protect Chad Kelly on pass plays. You see Andrew Harris cycle in for some of those and, and having that extra guy, you don't often see Andrew Harris get beat. We haven't seen Andrew Harris get beat much over his career when he's in there as the blocking back and, he's carrying that consistently through. AJ Olette will have learned a lot from working with Andrew Harris these last couple of seasons. They're both powerful runners when they hit that line and Ouellette is is going to be exciting to watch for years to come.
1: Do the Alouettes ever consider moving away from Fajardo and looking at Caleb Evans to take them from this point forward? Granted, we know that Evans has A more propensity to throw an interception, but he also seems to generate more offense when he's out there.
0: He's a bit higher energy than Cody Fajardo. The Elouettes seem to be very much still set on on Cody being their number one guy. Toronto has all but locked up first place in the East. They need one more win, I believe, to lock up home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They've already clinched a playoff spot. The Hamilton Tiger Cats coming on, you have to look at securing a home playoff date that's what the most important thing going forward now for hamilton and montreal and if Fajardo is struggling you need to figure out how to keep ahead of those tiger cats and it might be worthwhile to give caleb evans a start here somewhere along the way
1: game two of the three game set was in winnipeg at ig field where the blue bombers roll off 42 first half points lead 42 to six at halftime and win going away 51-6 to over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. A huge crowd. This game was sold out for weeks in anticipation of what could happen. I'm sure most of the fans went away happy. Winnipeg talks a lot
0: about just going 1-0 every week and not having any ulterior motives. They They say the right things in the interviews, but you have to think, given what happened Labor Day weekend in Regina, not just the loss of the game, but the Pete Robertson, Zach Kolaris incident had to fuel them a little bit. They came out and showed what they are capable of playing to their full abilities. Were it not for a Kenny Lawler drop in the end zone, they would have had seven straight touchdown drives. Jemison Sheehan didn't punt the ball until the last 45 seconds of the game. This one was all hands on deck. The interesting thing that happened was, The Rough Riders went down and kicked a field goal on the first possession of the game. Watching it, Winnipeg's kickoff coverage was a little bit suspect. Great field position to start the game for the Rough Riders. Here we go again. A roughing the passer penalty got them into field goal range. Looking like it was maybe going to be another really chippy game. And then Winnipeg took over.
1: Winnipeg had 35 minutes of possession. 32 first downs. Saskatchewan, just 14 first downs. Zach Kolaris, 18 of 21 for 319. Now, remember, we just talked about two quarterbacks that completed 21 passes. Neither one clipped 300. Here's a guy that throws 18 and gets 319 yards and, of course, five touchdowns. And as you alluded to, had that ball not been dropped by Kenny Lawler, the Blue Bombers would have likely scored touchdowns in their first six possessions it was. And we talked
0: last week about quarterback efficiency ratings and do they really mean anything? Zach Claris had the, the perfect QB rating in this one and you certainly can't argue with that. Brady Oliveira's total offensive yards were more than the Rough Riders combined total offensive yards. There's blowouts and then there's blowouts and this one was was really one-sided from the first quarter on. We could sit here and dissect everything all night. The one the play that impressed me the most and didn't really get a lot of coverage from the the play-by-play guys from TSN was, and if you want to go back and figure out which one this was, on the fifth touchdown drive in the first half for the Blue Bombers. The scoring play, Zach Claris faked a handoff to Brady Oliveira, rolled out of the pocket, pump faked the dump off to Drew Olatarski, and bombed one to, to Dalton Schoen. The complexity of that play, they showed every aspect of it, and it was drawn up and executed perfectly. I don't think there's a better representation of what the offense did all game other than that that one particular play.
1: For Saskatchewan, Jake Doligala, 15 to 21 for 113 yards. Shea Patterson got to see the field three of three for 26 yards. Saskatchewan, there's always this chatter about we got to flush it, we got to move on, but at some point, as I was talking about in first down, there's something that you got to correct. There is something fundamentally wrong going on that this happens year after year after year. I don't know how you flush that. And if you don't, there's a team from Edmonton coming.
0: Yeah. And that's one, one strength for the Bombers all season as well as they've had three losses every time they've come off a loss, they've won big in the next game. The two teams that they've lost to that they've played again. They have blown them out of the water. Fortunately for the Ottawa Red Blacks, they won't see them again this season because chances are that one would would go the other direction quite badly as well. So the Bombers certainly have that ability to to flush it and move on. We've seen that in all of their bounce back games. The Rough Riders, this is going to be a test. Edmonton, as we've said, has won three of the last four trending the right direction and are getting hungry. They're, They're seeing that. They're not completely out of this playoff race yet. And a great opportunity is going to be this game against the Riders.
1: The nightcap from Commonwealth Stadium, the Calgary Stampeders in the rematch with the Edmonton Elks. Calgary, this time become the victim of a fourth quarter rally and lose 25 to 23 on a final play field goal by the Elks.
0: A little bit of revenge in this one as well. Winning both sides of a back-to-back are always tough statistically more often than not, it, it's a split and the Elks let one slip away in Calgary on Labor Day and turn things around. Trey Ford did not have a great start to this game, but he found a way to f- finish strong.
1: Four pass completions for Trey Ford in the first three quarters. He may have got one at the end of the third, but he was on 11 yards at halftime. And you began to wonder Was he going to be playing in the fourth quarter? Because that kind of statistical output isn't going to get you very far. However, in the fourth quarter, he lights it up. Finishes the game with 14 of 22 for 173 yards and a touchdown pass mixed in with two interceptions. Jake Mayer, 21 of 29 for 210, two TDs. What was Calgary doing in the fourth quarter? Why was everything two and out?
0: It's kind of the opposite of what we saw from Jake Mayer one week earlier football's a a funny game. And as much as people like to pretend that momentum isn't, isn't a thing, it's amazing how it will affect players confidence that Calgary offense just struggled to string anything together. And you, you give a team a chance to hang around, hang around, hang around Trey Ford again, as dangerous with his legs as he is with his arm The escapability and his ability to keep a play alive goes a long way. And we saw another eight carries for 82 yards, but some huge scrambles to get away from trouble and find somebody downfield late in the game is what helped them turn things around and pull off the win.
1: One first down for the Calgary Stampeders in that entire fourth quarter. And that happened on their first drive. It almost looked like they went into a shell, and that final drive when they had a chance after a huge third down stop by their defense, they could put the game away, they went into a running shell, and did not get anywhere, could not kill the clock, and left the Elks 35 seconds to come down the field and get that field goal. Now, there's going to be some talk about the pass interference call, was it, was it not, It looked like at the top of the route where the receiver is uh, Dylan Mitchell is making his move to the inside. He does get twisted just a little bit, but the actual act at the very end, whether it was, whether it wasn't, you got to ask yourself what happened that brought you to that moment.
0: That's just it. You can't single out a one particular play that cost you the game. You have to look at what you did to execute throughout. I'm waiting for the day where offensive coordinators stop going into this shell to, to protect the lead. I know you're you're playing with the clock. You want to do things to keep the, the clock running. If you've been successful passing the ball, moving the ball forward all game, why do you go away from it? All you're doing is you're taking a little bit more time off the clock, but you're not gaining yards. So you're really still putting yourself at a disadvantage. If you run the ball twice, get stuffed, you've taken time off the clock, but now you're giving away field position. If you take a couple of shots, even... 12, 15 yards down the field and get a completion or two, you're you're turning that field around, you're winning that field position battle.
1: A huge game for Kevin Brown. 15 carries, 143 yards. Nice night for him. And he scored an early touchdown for the Elks. He
0: did, yeah. There's there are some exciting running backs to watch in this league right now. And and Kevin Brown, we saw some potential late last season, and he settled into that role now as well. Great to see not only his running ability, but you've got Trey Ford in the mix. As much as you don't like seeing quarterbacks run, Damon Allen is one of the top rushing yardage leaders in the CFL history, was a quarterback. And you've got guys that are that kind of capable. They can do some damage.
1: Eugene Lewis really putting a stamp on this game. A couple of big fourth quarter catches, five receptions overall, 89 yards. He and Trey Roberson had a battle all night long. We're we're
0: finally seeing Eugene Lewis over these last few weeks doing what we had hoped he would do when he joined the Edmonton Elks. Injuries slowed him down a little bit. That maturity, that leadership is what the Elks receiving core has needed. You've got Manny Arsenault as well, who is a longtime veteran in this league. But Eugene Lewis is the number one receiver and is starting to show why he was worth that big contract.
1: And if you're wondering, in the race to 2000, who's leading? Kenny Lawler of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
0: Heath, his number is? He's 13th in the league overall with 579 receiving yards. And Dylan Mitchell of the Edmonton Elks, his number is? Dylan Mitchell is 23rd with 456 yards. Now keep in mind as well, Dylan Mitchell has played all 13 games for the Edmonton Elks. Kenny Lawler has played seven for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
1: We move to week 15 in the Canadian Football League as we've turned into the heart of the race to the finish, starting with a rematch. The Toronto Argonauts are in Montreal to take on the Alouettes. The Argonauts, six and a half point favorites. The Argonauts have beaten the Alouettes both times, once in Montreal, once in Toronto. Is there any way that Montreal wins other than maybe shaking things up and starting Caleb Evans?
0: I think Toronto wins this one. I'm going to give Montreal the ability to beat the spread at home I think is going to be a little bit closer. To do that that offense needs to wake up. The Toronto defense has been really really solid. I expect the Alouettes to be better than they were in Toronto but not pulling out the victory. So Toronto to win, Alouettes to beat the spread.
1: Darnell Sankey is now an Alouette. Of course he was an outstanding linebacker with the Stampeders and the Rough Riders. Try the XFL, is back up north. Does he have an impact? And if so, what?
0: I don't know how much they're going to be able to get him into the mix and get him up to speed. It's going to be less than a week to get in there. I expect he will play. I don't think he's going to be a huge difference maker yet. It's going to take him a week or two to reacclimate himself to the CFL.
1: The game score will be closer than what it was in Toronto last weekend, but Toronto will cover. The big one, Friday night the second half of the doubleheader, and big why? Because it's Saskatchewan hosting Edmonton. This is massive for the Edmonton Elks. We talked weeks ago, if they, and they took three out of the four that we said, if they, now this is the game that we pointed to then and said, if they do this, they have this opportunity when, here it is. They are in Saskatchewan to take on the Rough Riders. The Rough Riders, two and a half point favorites coming off a massive loss to Winnipeg. Edmonton with a big win over Calgary. If Edmonton wants a shot at the playoffs, they have to do it here.
0: I'm excited to watch this one. This has the makings to be a great game. Two teams with something to prove. The Riders need to prove that their home win on Labor Day weekend was more of an indication of where they are as a team than this loss in Winnipeg last week Edmonton wants to show that they are a contender despite the start of the season that they want to make a second half push I don't know how to call this one I'm going to give the edge to the riders at home so it's riders by a field goal to cover the spread I I think that they will do that but I'm not going to be shocked if Edmonton comes in here and pulls off the
1: win Saskatchewan at home has been an interesting watch because the games are close. We think back to the game against Calgary where they lost on a last play f- or a last second field goal. You look at the game against British Columbia where it was a big stop at the end of the game that kept that win. They won an overtime over Winnipeg. One would think that just because of that alone, the game is going to be close. Trey Ford, how does he measure up? Pete Robertson will be back in the lineup for the Rough Riders. How does that? change things. Two and a half points, as we say, the home team just by nature of the beast gets three points. So technically odds makers are giving a little nudge to the Elks and saying they're probably going to win this football game.
0: I think it's fair based on the trend that we have seen from each team. Um, As I said, though, I I do predict that the Riders will pull out the win in this one.
1: I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to take the Elks just because the Rough Riders haven't faced Trey Ford before. And at two and a half points, that's not much to give. I'm not saying that Edmonton will win. Now go to the doubleheader on Saturday, and we start at Tim Horton's field in Hamilton, where the Tiger Cats, coming off a big win, face the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who have been middling at best on the road this year. The Bombers still are six and a half point favorites heading into Hamilton, Matthew Schiltz may be getting pretty close to being ready. Does that change anything?
0: I don't think it does. Six and a half is a reasonable spread in this one. Winnipeg doesn't win by leaps and bounds on the road like they do at home. If we remember back to last season, their worst loss of the season was in Hamilton. Dane Evans had the game of the season for himself and and lit up the Blue Bombers in Hamilton. I don't think that... The Cats are going to pull off the win. I believe Winnipeg will cover this spread. It's not a huge spread, but I don't expect them to win by 25, 30, 35, 40. It's going to be a much closer game than that, but Winnipeg will cover the spread in this one.
1: Winnipeg may win, but I don't believe they will cover. The Tiger Cats, whether it's Taylor Powell or Matthew Schiltz at the quarterbacking position, will provide enough. It seems as though that Scott Milanovich's offense is starting to take shape, and one thing that Winnipeg is susceptible to is the running game. Hamilton's running game is pretty good when they really trust it. I'm going to give Winnipeg the nod to win, but I'm not going to give them the nod to cover. The final game, another team coming off the bye, the British Columbia Lions take on the team that had just come off a bye, the Ottawa Red Blacks. The Red Blacks, losers of six in a row now go into British Columbia, where the Lions at home are nine and a half point favorites. Do the Red Blacks have a chance?
0: I successfully called the Bombers to blow the Riders out of the water last week. This is my blowout of the week here. I I think that Ottawa traveling across country for the late game in a doubleheader, things point to the BC Lions coming off a bye well-rested wanting to stay as close as they can to the Bombers in the standings to still have first place in their sights. This is a big must win game for the Lions in that regard. And I believe they're going to come out and and win this one, cover the spread and then some.
1: Last time the BC Lions were at home, they were against the Hamilton Tiger Cats and look what Hamilton did to them, a 30 to 13 beating of the BC Lions. That's got to be fresh in their memories. Do they have enough to put away the red blacks with that much of a spread most likely i would be hard pressed unless something happens to vernon adams jr and he has an off night to think that bc is going to have any trouble with ottawa especially now that abdul kenna defensive back is out for the season with a broken hand For listening to our
0: show, Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple
1: Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.
0: Gosh. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by. Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.